How are we doing tonight? Good. It's good to see you. I'm going to read my text tonight, and then we're just going to get straight into it. Is that all good? All right. Acts 2 verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them. Everyone say all. All All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I don't know about you, but that scripture gets me excited. That scripture gets me pumped up the moment that I read it. Suddenly a sound came from heaven. Suddenly they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues as God gave them utterance. This is the moment that God pours out His Spirit upon His people. It's the moment that those first disciples were baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an event that was prophesied about by the Old Testament prophets and spoken of by Jesus himself. This event marked the birth of the church as we know it today. It marked the beginning of the spread of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It marked the beginning of the church going from being a small Jewish sect to becoming actually the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. This moment is the genesis of that. It is the beginning of that. But have you ever wondered what exactly was happening and why the disciples were gathered together in the upper room? Like, think about this for a second. Jesus has died. He has resurrected. He has been with them for 40 days, teaching them, it says in Acts 1, about the kingdom of God. They are carrying this gospel message. They've been commissioned. They've been told by Jesus, go into all the world, preaching the good news to all the nations. And yet Acts chapter 2 finds them huddled and gathered in an upper room. Doesn't that sound strange? They've been given the message that will transform lives. And they know it has the power to transform lives because it's transformed their lives. They've been with Jesus and seen that this Son of God, this resurrected Messiah, heals, delivers, saves, sets people free, gives sight to the blind, raises the dead, makes the lame walk. They've seen the power of this message. They've been commissioned to take it to all the world. And yet in Acts chapter 2, they're in an upper room. Why? Well, actually, the reason they're there is because they're obeying instructions. This is what Jesus said, Acts 1.4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Get this. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like imagine for a second that you've been given possession of a message that you know will transform the lives of everyone you know. Like a message that is equivalent to having the power to cure cancer or peace in a conflict torn area. This is a life-changing message, and it's not like an aspirational life-changing message. Like, they're not just hoping that it'll change lives. They know it's, it's a proven life-changing message because it's transformed their lives, because they've seen it transforming lives. 
And yet they're told, don't go with the message until you have received this gift. Now, if you were hearing that from Jesus, what you would be thinking is you would be thinking, if I can't go with this message until I have received this gift, then this gift must be essential to the spread of the message. That could be the only conclusion that you could draw. That if I have to stay until I have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, there must be something about this gift that is essential to the proclamation of the gospel. And I wonder today, if we treat this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this being filled with the Holy Spirit, as that essential to the proclamation of the gospel, do we still need the advice to Jesus which says, Stay in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay in Jerusalem until you've received the gift because they're hearing this and thinking this gift is essential to the proclamation. See, sometimes I wonder in church these days if we just treat baptism of the Holy Spirit as an additional extra. Like fries with your burger or ice with your cold drink. Nice but not essential. Does that seem to be the impetus of the text? Does that seem to be the way Jesus presented it? Because I don't really think that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is nice, but not essential. I think it's totally essential. Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem. Can you believe this? He's like, stay. Have you ever thought about the fact that before there was a go, there was a stay? Stay in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. That's how crucial the baptism, the infilling, the filling of the Holy Spirit is. And you guys know that this is a, I mean, if you've sat in our church for any length of time, you'll be like, why does Haley harp on about the same things again and again? And for that, I apologize, but it's because I'm desperate to be part of a church that is spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, that is proclaiming the gospel and seeing miracle signs and wonders accompanying it. And so I'll preach it until we are it, you know? I'll preach it till we do it. And I've said this to you before, you know, A.W. Tozer, he's famous for saying that the doctrine of the spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life has been more opposed by the enemy than any other doctrine. This is what he says. He says he's confused it, opposed it, surrounded it with false notions and fears. He's blocked every effort of the church of Christ to receive from the Father her divine and blood-bought, blood-bought, something that Christ paid for at the cross, our blood-bought patrimony. See, this infilling of the Spirit, this power of God, it's not the added extra of the Christian life. It's not the deluxe version of Christianity. It's not the scale up version of Christianity. It's not for the super religious or the super spiritual. It's not just for the platform. It's for every single believer. It might seem unusual at times, but it is most certainly not abnormal. This is what Christ died to give us. He died for a church that wouldn't just be having nice services on a Sunday, but would be spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, walking in the power of the Spirit with miracles and signs and wonders accompanying it. In fact, I believe that this is the effectiveness of our witness. 
If we desire to be effective in our gospel proclamation, friends, if you have a heart for the unsaved in this place, then listen to me. You should be desiring to be filled with the Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so today I wanted to just do some teaching, if that's okay, and then we'll pray at the end. Because one of the things that A.W. Tozer said that I think is very true is that one of the ways that the enemy has almost convinced us out of this baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, is he's confused it. Build it with false notions and fear. And so I'm going to take you through like a pretty systematic teaching of some questions that you might be wondering about when it comes to baptism in the Holy Spirit. So firstly, what is it? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the enabling, the empowerment to do the work of Christ. It is empowering to do the work of Christ. And actually, the timing of when the Holy Spirit was poured out really reinforces this. Remember earlier in Acts chapter 2, I, I, I said that it was on the day of Pentecost. Now, as a Pentecostal church, we often think of this Pentecost as like the first mention of Pentecost in the Bible. It's not. Pentecost was an Old Testament feast. It was part of the Jewish calendar. And what the place in the Jewish calendar that Pentecost held is that it was the first uh, feast that was taken up in the early harvest, right? There were two harvests in the Jewish calendar that were taken up, a smaller first harvest and a larger second harvest at the end of the season. Pentecost was the first harvest. Now remember that Jesus used that metaphor of harvest to describe the time when souls would come into the kingdom of God. That for Jesus is harvest time. Harvest time for Jesus is about reaping, gathering up souls, proclaiming the gospel, gathering up souls who will come into the kingdom of God. In other words, the Spirit is poured out to sing though it's the start of harvest time. See, the reality is, this is what Jesus is pointing to. He's saying, hey, listen up. If you want to harvest souls, if you want to see a harvest, you do it with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. See, not only is He the way that we harvest souls, He's the guarantee of its completion at the end of time. He is the down payment of what is to come. See, the work of collecting the harvest cannot be done without the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you've ever wondered what it is that the Holy Spirit does, you need to think about it like this. The Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus. Sometimes we get confused, and particularly the way that we talk about Holy Spirit in church, you know, and, and I'll, I'm guilty of this as everyone is, you know, the, the person will get up, the MC will get up at the end of uh, like a worship set, and they, can you feel Holy Spirit is in the room? And, you know, you might have felt like, you know, the, the, I don't know, the hairs on your arms standing up, or you might have felt, you know, the worship tingles, or I don't know, you might have felt the need to giggle or shout or clap. And what happens when we do that is we reduce Holy Spirit to an experience. We reduce His ministry to just a momentary manifestation when actually what the Holy Spirit does is He continues the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus on the earth. See, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 4, Jesus got up and he said this. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He finished it by saying that this scripture was fulfilled that day because he was the anointed one who was going to do this ministry. If you want to look at what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, look at that. Proclaim good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted to see healing, to see brokenhearted people completely whole, to see captives released. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit because it's the ministry of Jesus. We need to understand that when we say things in church like my ministry or your ministry, we're saying something that's innately untrue. All ministry is Jesus' ministry and we can only do it because of verse 1, because the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. So that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is designed to do. It's designed to continue the ministry of Jesus on the earth. See people saved, delivered, healed, set free to the glory of God. And we do it through the Spirit's enabling. That's what baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Secondly, who can receive baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's very simple. You read it out earlier in Acts chapter 2. It says, all who were in the room were baptized. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everyone who is a follower of Christ. And I cannot make this point clearly enough. Because the most common misconception that I have seen in the church today is, it's not for me. That gift is for someone else, but it's not for me. I have talked to so many people who rule themselves out of receiving this gift. Oh, it's for the people who are worthy enough. Nope. Most certainly is not. It is for anyone, anyone who has surrendered their life to Christ and says, Jesus is my Lord. That is who can receive baptism of, all, of, of uh, the Holy Spirit. And so if it's a gift for you, the next question, see, that was a quick answer. There's no, listen, there's no gray in that answer. Do you know what I mean? That I need to debunk. When Acts chapter 2 says all, guess what? It means there's no subtext. There's no deep in the Greek. It means only some. When it says all, it's, it's totally all, you know. So I'm going to move on. Cool? All right. How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's important to say this. Baptism of the Holy Spirit comes only by the sovereign will of God. The first thing that needs to be acknowledged in response to this question is that the Holy Spirit comes because God wills it. No other reason. How many people know that in life there's a difference between a gift and a wage, right? There's a difference between a gift and a, and a wage. A wage is what you get when you work for it or you earn it. A gift is something that comes whether you deserve it or not. It's not about the beneficiary. It's about the generosity of the person who's giving the gift. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a wage. It is not something that we work to earn. It's not something that we are doing well and so God says, hey, as your payment for being such a good Christian, see you've been tithing regularly, good on you, have baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, not a wage, it's a gift. And because it's a gift, it comes as at the sovereign will of the gift giver. 
And so everything that I'm about to say comes within that framework, okay? I'm about to suggest some things about what we do to position our hearts to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit. But I want to make very, very clear that these things are not steps to make you worthy of its reception. I'm going to give you these steps, but it's within the context of the fact that whether we do them or not, it's not about our worthiness, it's about His graciousness. So the first thing is that I'd say, if we're positioning ourselves to receive uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit, the first thing you need to do, this is step number one, you need to receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour. <laughs> Should be obvious, but we're going to say it anyway. Acts 2 verse 38, Peter says, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive. Doesn't sound like an additional extra, does it? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is for everyone who is a follower of Christ. In no place in the book of Acts do we find an example of someone who is given the gift of the, uh, the Holy Spirit before they have made Jesus Lord of their life, repented of their sin and begun to follow Jesus. Baptism of the Holy Spirit follows our repentance. So if we're positioning ourselves, the first thing you do, you receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour. The second thing that I would encourage us to do if we're positioning our hearts to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit is I'd say you need to remove all barriers. And I'm not going to suggest to you what your barriers might be, but I would say that if you are struggling to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit, I would ask the Lord, Lord, are there any barriers that I have unknowingly put up that is blocking me from receiving from you? You know, one of the... Uh, you, you know, when we worship and love worship at this church and love worshiping with you guys all, but one of the things that we do in, in church is we raise our hands, right? And, you know, when I first came into church, I was like, why are these people, like, raising their hands? I'd come from a Catholic background and I came to a Pentecostal church. I was like, worship in this church is a workout. They're jumping and screaming and raising their hands. Like, what is going on? But then I came to realize that what raising your hands is, is it's just a universal sign of surrender. Like, not to give this as an example, but you know, like a pol police, if they're in a dangerous situation, not saying that God's a policeman, don't go there, don't overextend. But what do they say? They say, come out with your hands up. If you're trying to show someone that you're non-threatening, you just naturally, without thinking about it, you put your hands up. You're saying, I'm defenseless. I'm defenseless. I've put no guards up. I'm coming in front of you totally surrendered. And listen to me, when we want to receive the Holy Spirit, that's how we need to come. We need to come defenseless. Say, God, I've got my hands up. I'm yielding my control to you. Anything you want to do, I'm happy for you to do it because my guards are down, my defenses are down. You know, A.W. Tozer speaks powerfully on this. I apologize for referencing his, him a few times, but his book really impacted me. He says that one of the chief things you need to understand about baptism in the Holy Spirit is that you have to desire it. You have to desire it. And he talks about like how, he, you know, you might say, well, of course I desire it. Like, I'm in church on a Sunday night. Did you not see the weather as we came in? I walked through the rain or... You know, you might be saying, of course I desire it. I'm meeting this person for coffee to talk about the things of God. Or you might even say, of course I desire it. I'm 
up here on an altar call trying to get prayer. But I would question, like, do you really? Do you really want to surrender total control of your life to a spirit that's not your own? Do you really want to surrender total control of your life to something that is other than you. Even if that spirit is the pure spirit of God, even if that spirit is the spirit of all wisdom, even if that spirit is a healing balm that falls upon your soul, even if this spirit is like the presence of Jesus, do we really want to give up all control? Like I would be perfectly honest with you tonight, in my journey with the Holy Spirit, I would say hand on heart, it has been a journey of me laying down control, laying down again and again and again and again. And can I honestly say that the depth to which I've gone with Holy Spirit has been the depth that I've been willing to let go of control. That's what we're desiring. That's what we're desiring. We're saying, God, less of me, more of you. So we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. We remove all barriers. And then the last thing that I would say is we ask. We request the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So many of us do not have simply because we do not ask. Luke 11, 11 to 13 says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion if you then know you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And can I say something? If you don't receive the first time, keep asking. Wait is not the same as no. Not now is not the same thing as no. You know, in my journey, I didn't receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the first time I got prayed for, but I didn't have a Christian background, so I didn't know to get discouraged, you know? There's some, honestly, can I just say, there's some things that we pick up just from being in church circles for a long time. And I hadn't come from a church circle. I got saved when I was 18. I got prayed for the first time, didn't receive anything, and I thought, oh, cool, I'll just try again. I didn't know to get discouraged about it. I didn't know that sometimes there was a sense of hierarchy in church where the people who have tongues and have the gifts feel superior to those who don't. Not time to get into that today. Maybe I will later, actually, because I feel passionate about it. But I didn't know to get discouraged, so I just literally, every altar call, the, the altar call was about unforgiveness. And I was going up there, can you please pray for me to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit with tongues? They were like, not what the altar call is about, but love your passion, you know? And for months, I did that. For months and months. And didn't receive it. Again and again and again. Until one day, I was standing in a prayer meeting. No one was praying for me. Wasn't even in a church. And I got baptized in the Holy Spirit there. So your responsibility is not the reception of the gift. Your responsibility is the sweetness of your soul. Your, your job is to just go, God, you say in your word, you say in your word that you want to fill me. And so I'm here again. And I'm here again. And I'm here again. And I'm here again. And I'll come as many times as I need to. I'm here again. 
You know, the Azusa Street Revival, uh, which the Pentecostal movement in America is totally based off. Do you know William Seymour, who was the one who led that? He preached baptism of the Holy Spirit for months without seeing a single person baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he himself wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit. He preached it for months. And when the Holy Spirit finally fell, it fell on a lady who was in the congregation first, not even him. He didn't even get it that night. He got it another night. Because sometimes in the journey of faith, we need to persevere. We need to tarry. We need to wait. We need to hold on to the promises of God. We need to hold on to the Word of God. I've noticed in Christian circles that we're willing to hang on to other promises, but for some reason, not this one. God, you didn't do it the first time, so now I'm discouraged. No, 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 the posture of our soul is, God, this is what your word says, so I'm going to contend, I'm going to wait, I'm going to keep asking if there's anything in me that needs to be removed until I receive that which you have promised me. Because I believe that if I want to spread the gospel effectively, then I want to be manifesting gifts. I want to be manifesting and clothed in power from on high, so I'm not going to give up till I get it. I'll answer a thousand altar calls if I need to. I'm going to posture my heart to keep it sweet and to keep asking. You might be asking, oh, what's the next question? Because I'm sick of this uh, point. I'm, I'll tell you. How do we know that we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? How do we know that we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Very simple answer is you display the gifts of the Spirit. You manifest the gifts of the Spirit. That's a lot of people say, you know, if you're, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? They say, yes. I'm like, well, how, how do you know? Oh, I'm more loving than I was. The fruit of the Spirit is different from gifts, right? Fruit of the Spirit is evidence that the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. Gifts of the Spirit is evidence that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so you might be asking, well, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? There is three different places in Scripture where gifts are, are sort of logged. One is 1 Corinthians 12. The other, I believe, is Ephesians Five, and the last is Romans 8. Someone's going to check those Scripture references to make sure they were correct. But this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given a spirit, of, a, a spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. By the same Spirit, to another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. To another, miraculous powers to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits that's sometimes called discernment, to another speaking in different tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determined. How do you know that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? You manifest the gifts of the Spirit. Friend, if you want to see if you have a gift of healing, let me tell you how to test it. Pray for people to receive healing. That's good, eh? Profound. Here's, listen, here's how you know whether you have a gift of prophecy. Ask God for a word for someone. You don't understand if you're manifesting the gifts by never stepping out in faith. These gifts require a step out in faith because they're the things that validate, that confirm the proclamation of the gospel. My last thingamajiggy point is this. Can you tell that there was a women's conference this week and I'm really tired? I'm almost done. I'm going to ask Daniel to join me. What do I do once I'm filled? 
What do I do once I'm filled? I really want you to get, to get this today. The first thing that you do once you're filled is that you evangelize. You spread the gospel. You use the gifts. Man, I have prayed for so many people on altar calls who have received the gift of tongues and then gone home and got scared for some reason and not done it again. If you've received some gifts, use them. God hasn't lit you on fire to put you under a bucket. He set you alight to shine. And so use the gifts. Use the gifts to see the kingdom of God come on earth. That's why we've been given them. Use the gifts to see people set free and healed and delivered. Use the gifts to see people encouraged. Don't just hide them. Step out in faith and do them. Don't fall into the mistake of thinking that people who operate in the gifts are doing so because they're supernaturally different from you. Can I just say that everyone who seems to operate in the gifts with confidence once operated in the gifts in timidity. They just chose to step out despite their fear or despite their concern and they stepped out again and again and again and saw God meet them there and so developed boldness. But everyone starts in the place where I'm like, should I pray for that person to be healed? What if it goes wrong? Everyone starts there. Everyone. You've just got to push through it. I don't want to be in a church. I don't want to be a person who's bound by timidity or fear. I don't want that to be the dominant theme in my life. I want to be led by faith. So use the gifts God has given them. Practice them. I have a great friend who's the most prophetic, genuinely the most prophetic person I know, insanely prophetic. And she tells me stories of when she was flatting when she was young. And she would be like, her and her flatmate would be getting ready uh, just to go to work. She'd be putting on her makeup. They'd be sitting together in the bathroom and they'd be, and, and they'd be practicing prophesying over each other. And sometimes you've just got to practice. Just have a go. You've just got to keep going, keep using, keep trying, keep growing. Use the gifts that God has given you. But the second thing I would say as well is keep desiring to be filled. Keep desiring to be filled. Even once you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you keep desiring because the way that word filled is used in the Greek, it's not talking about a once-off past tense event. It's something that is ongoing. Being filled with the Spirit isn't something that once happened in your past. It's meant to be a description of your everyday reality. And this illustration doesn't make sense, but it's kind of like if I'm swimming in a swimming pool, I'm not talking about the time that I once jumped in. I'm talking about what I'm doing now. I'm in it. This is my reality. I'm not back in the past talking about the time, the first time I got in. I'm talking about the fact that I'm swimming in the deep right now. And we need to understand that when it comes to baptism of the Holy Spirit, hear this, the posture of someone who has never been filled and the posture of someone who has 
been filled for the last 30 years should be exactly the same. The posture of every single believer when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit should be daily, I desire more of the Holy Spirit. So often when we do altar calls about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we pitch it towards those who've never been filled. And I personally, and this is my opinion, I can be rebuked. If you want to rebuke me afterwards, please feel free. Or do it via email, actually, hayley.lafaeli at elamchristiancenter.org.nz. But I don't like the singling out of a group who've never had an experience. Because for me, the posture of every single person should be exactly the same. I need more Holy Spirit. I need more of Him and less of me. And so if you're doing an altar call about being filled, I'm answering it. Because every day I'm desiring that I would be more and more filled, more and more empowered, more and more surrendered. That is my day. Have you ever noticed that it's the people who are most filled with the Holy Spirit who are most hungry for Him? Have you ever noticed that? Chris Moodley, who shared at our, at our Replenish conference, I, I would struggle to find a more spirit-filled person in our church, but I'll tell you what, I would also struggle to find a person who's more hungry. Because there's something actually about being filled with the Spirit that doesn't make me say, oh, I don't need any more altar calls. I don't need any more prayer. Holy Spirit, that's enough. I'm super filled. You can stop now. Can I tell you that that's not an attitude of someone who's filled? Because the people who I've noticed who are most filled with the Holy Spirit are also the people who are most hungry for more. And can I just say something, and, and not to really go after it, but it's, you know, if you're in this place and you had an experience years and years ago, and you've been resting on a past experience and you haven't forwarded yourself from that, can I just say that that is not a sign that you're full. That's probably a sign that you're a little bit dry. It's probably a sign you're a little bit dry because I've noticed in my life that the more I'm filled, the hungrier for his presence I become. And so I want to say today that we are going to finish with ministry and we're going to pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But this moment isn't just for people who've been never been filled, even though I do hope that if you've never received a touch of the Holy Spirit, you've never been filled. I do pray that you come up. But I think more than that, and would we just be a church who was just like, fill me, God. Fill me again. Daily I desire to be filled. I don't want being filled with the Holy Spirit to be a, an experience that I talk about in past tense that happened many years ago. I want to I talk about how daily I'm filled with you and daily I'm receiving from you and you're my daily bread and the water for my soul. You're the breath in my lungs. I don't, I don't want to be the type of person who's resting on old experiences. I want to be a type of person who's dr drinking from the living well day by day, moment by moment. I never want my hunger to be put out. I never want my thirst to be put out. I never want to be too big that I won't answer an altar call Holy Spirit, I just want to be filled. It's my desire to become less so that you might become more, so that the kingdom of God could come on earth to the glory of the name of Jesus.